Hi, I'm Lexi and this is Hannah and we're Wild About Conservation. This is the podcast where we explore the world of conservation through discussions with our very knowledgeable guests. And in this season, we're focusing on all things ocean. In this episode, we speak with a friend of ours, Alice Moore. Join us to get absolutely hooked into our chat about sustainable seafood, the good fish guide, and managing our ocean resources in a responsible way. Hi, thank you for chatting to us today. So can you firstly introduce yourself to our listeners, who you are, your pronouns, what you do, and your key interest in conservation? Yes, hi, uh, my name is Alice. My pronouns are she, her, and I work for a UK-based charity called the Marine Conservation Society. And specifically within that, I work in our fisheries and aquaculture team on something called the Good Fish Guide. And the Good Fish Guide basically is a resource for both consumers and businesses to find the most sustainable seafood options. In terms of what got me into conservation, I think I've always been interested in marine life. I've always spent a lot of time you know, by the sea, going in the sea, swimming, sailing, that sort of thing. And it was one of those ones where I was sort of leaving school and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And you sort of sit in that room with your careers advisor and you're going through things. And it, it kept coming back to marine biology. So that led me down a path of, you know, studying marine biology at university and trying for different jobs and I initially got my first internship with a conservation charity and that kind of everything everything went from there really. That sounds awesome but before you get us absolutely hooked into your experiences we do have a very short game we like to play with guests. It's a really fun quick fire round of a few questions just to keep you on your toes and so we can get to know you in a different way. Perfect. So Firstly, can you tell me, if you could be any animal, what would it be? I would be a bird. <laughs> I don't know which kind of bird, but the ability to like fly anywhere and get anywhere you want it to be just by flying, I think would be really cool. I see that. I understand why. Um, if What is something that you love that has absolutely nothing to do with conservation? Um, I love baking. I make a lot of brownies and cakes and banana bread and that sort of thing. Oh, it's been a good year for that then, because I've been very attached to my oven recently. (laughs) And finally, would you rather be a dung beetle, a mayfly or a cockroach? Um, A dung beetle. I don't know why, but I just think they're pretty cool. That's fair. I was going to say out of the three, if that one one calls out to you, then it does. (laughs) Yep, we are a little bit mean. Um, also, I just have to point out, Alice, I have never had any of your baking and now I'm very heartbroken. <laughs> well, I know. But the thing is, when I see you, we're usually seeing you at seven o'clock in the morning when I'm sleep deprived and launching myself into the sea. And I don't have time to gather myself together. Never mind baked goods. <laughs> Did you pair start wild swimming together? Or was it when you first both started? Mostly, yeah. So I've, yeah. I've done it. I've done it before, you know, bits and pieces growing up. I've always been in like the sea, but kind of properly starting regularly was with Hannah last summer. May I just say you're both insane. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome to join us anytime. Oh, Lexi hates the cold. Don't I have tried <laughs> to get her to join. Uh, yeah. So Alice and I did our ice swim together and we are just picking it back up now after what, maybe like a month and a half of not really swimming that much just because it's just been so dark. Yeah, we took a bit of time off because of the dark and the ice and things. It didn't feel so safe to be travelling to swim, but now we're definitely we're definitely getting back into it. I'm happy for you both. I will watch from afar on dry land. That's what we also need. Someone looking out for us from afar. But before we end up down an absolute wild swimming hole, finally, Alice, every episode, we ask our guests how they get wild about conservation. So how do you get wild? What a question. I don't even... I mean, a lot of a lot of things about conservation excite me. I think my main way of getting wild, I guess, especially at marine life, is just being near it. So, you know, most days I try to get for either a walk on the beach or a swim on the beach or I'm planning my next trip to go snorkeling or scuba diving. So, yeah, just being in and around marine life, I guess. I love that. It seems to be the biggest one is get outside and enjoy everything around you. And yeah, you've already kind of told us what got you into conservation. But could you tell us, you've touched on your education a little bit, where you were, where you started, where you did your undergrad? Have you done a master's, these kind of things? Yeah, I grew up in Northern Ireland. And when I was 
18, I moved over to Scotland and I did my undergrad at Stirling University in marine biology. So I was in Stirling for four years and then I went, I was back in Northern Ireland working for about eight months and then I moved to London for an internship. When I ended up, you know, getting a job at that organisation, I stayed there. I was there for maybe about 18 months altogether. And then I decided I got the kind of the FOMO, I guess, of wanting to do wanting to do a master's and wanting to try some new things. So I moved back to Scotland and I did a master's at Harriet Watt University in marine resource development and protection. It's quite a mouthful. Masters always seem to be a mouthful. I know they get very specific with their with their titles. No, that sounds like quite an educational career. How did you go from that to getting into sustainable seafood? Yeah, so I kind of, I guess I sort of fell into the world of sustainable seafood. I was always interested in marine science, but I didn't, you know, in university, I didn't have a specialist area or that sort of thing. But I, when I first started working in the conservation world, it was actually, strangely enough, it was in, in freshwater. So I worked in like, um, I did a bit, my internship was in freshwater policy and communication and campaigns and that sort of thing. And I stayed on with that team for a while and a, a job came up in the seafood team. And I was always interested in the seafood world and how you know you can work with businesses and policymakers and how it kind of affects everyone you know I think it's something crazy like 97% of UK households actually eat seafood so it's something that really does apply to everyone so I got my first job kind of by chance in sustainable seafood and it just sort of stuck yeah I really I really enjoy what I do and I really feel like it does it does make a difference so yeah it was kind of by accident but I've I'm, I'm happy enough and this is where I plan plan to stay. No, that's lovely to hear. And I think there's a few different stories out there of that follow a similar vein of, nope, I followed the education that I wanted because of the interests. And then I ended up in this job that I absolutely adore, partially because of luck, but also the skills that I've gained. Yeah, I think that I think that's definitely the thing, especially with, you know, people that do conservation degrees and marine science degrees. There's there is there's so few jobs out there and you sort of got to be quite open minded about what you go into and you don't really know until you try it and until you work in an organisation, I find you don't really know what jobs are available and what opportunities there are. I think that's completely true. And kind of what you touched on there is that you're saying there was a lot of a lot of a little bit of luck, but also what came through to me was that you were already in a situation and then you sidestepped because you were developing these networks, you were developing these transferable skills. And that's such an important thing to think about and something that keeps coming up when we chat to people about how they got where they were is exactly as you've just said, is having an open mind and realising that conservation isn't just one thing, which is what this whole podcast is about, is it's so many different things, so many different topics, and so many different people. Yeah, for sure. And it's definitely, there's an aspect of it as well as, you know, a lot of people, if they want to get into, you know, I'm particularly speaking about marine conservation, but there's this kind of mentality that you have to travel all over the world and do all these internships and everything. And it requires a lot of money and basically a lot of working for free. And I think you have to think about realistically about your life and what you can afford to do. And for me, that wasn't, you know, that I wasn't able to go and spend all this time doing all these unpaid internships so when I found something that actually was a good job and actually you know I really enjoyed it then that was you know a win-win for me. Yeah I think you're absolutely right you don't have to do all of these internships and you don't have to travel the world I think we are in an age at the moment of just virtual so you can join a lot of webinars and learning sessions online and get some more information about a lot of the world right now but you're right there's so much around us and I think the UK is a treasure trove of Mm. internships and first jobs and even as we've been learning on this podcast just the amount of different um, species that we've got in our UK waters is insane because I've been learning a lot recently um would you be able to tell me what your favorite British fish is yeah that's a good question um I think what I have a particular soft spot for is rays so we have a great variety of different kinds of ray in British waters and I think people don't realize people think that's something tropical that you see on holidays when you're diving but actually we have so many different so many different rays here in the UK and you know there's something that need champion and they need better protection yeah and I think this is something that um, has come up kind of in our thinking before as well is that it's also seeing skates and rays isn't just going and seeing them underwater is that you can see traces of them on the beach and stuff and I think that's what's really cool is that is that connection and realizing what really is in our water um, isn't just a few fish, <laughs> some people think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's a huge, huge variety of different of different fish available here and different kind of seafood species, I guess. And yeah, it's just about getting people to know what's out there. Hmm. 
In terms of different sustainable seafood, obviously that is the focus of your work. Is there a sustainable seafood you wish people would get more excited about? Um, yeah, there's loads. I think particularly here in the UK, I think farm shellfish is such a such a big thing that people could get more excited about. We have loads of great options for farmed oysters and mussels that are super sustainable. You know, sometimes the wild caught options, you really need to check with the wild caught options because they're not sustainable. But definitely farmed shellfish is something there's great potential for, you know, it's minimal impact on the environment. It's definitely something that we can expand. We just need to increase the demand for it and get people eating the stuff that's grown right here. So we know that you work in sustainable seafood, but could you tell me what your job entails? Like, what does a day in your life at your work look like? Yeah, so on a, on a day-to-day basis, my job, it really involves a lot of research. So I'd say that's my, probably my favourite bit about my job, is I'm constantly learning. So every day I'm sort of researching a different species, and I don't think many people can say that about their job. So what I do is I look at things like scientific stock assessments that are figuring out what the biomass of each species and what the fishing pressure is on it and I interpret that information into things that's easy to understand both for businesses and for consumers. We also look at things like published journal research articles and see any new research on fishing impacts and look at things like government websites to find out what management measures are in place and we also look at you know are those management measures being effective so that's sort of a day-to-day basis it's very um, computer computer based but hopefully we're hoping later on this year once restrictions are lifted I can get out and about a bit more and visit some maybe visit some fish farms and visit some local fisheries and get to know the people and how things work a bit a bit better so yeah it's mainly it's research based and we're taking complex information and making it more accessible for for the public when you're not completely desk based as you've said there's all these different stakeholders when it comes to sustainable fisheries how much kind of outreach and engagement do you actually do going and visiting different people who work in fisheries or work on some of these farms you've mentioned or even just the general public and talking to them about sustainable seafood? Yeah, I think for my role specifically, I wasn't in, you know, I've only been in my role about 18 months, so I hadn't been there that long before lockdown and things. So I think, um, unfortunately, I haven't had as many opportunities to be out and about as possible, but it's really, I'm, I'm quite lucky that I have a bit of flexibility in my work. So whatever really, you know, trips to fish farms or trips to fisheries and stuff I can set up, then, you know, my work's very good at letting me sort of go and do that, th- that sort of thing. So I can really get out there as much as I can find feasible and fit around my workload. Um, in terms of like, you know, education and community-based stuff, I don't, I don't do so much of that. So at the Marine Conservation Site, we have our own education and volunteer and community engagement team and they they would go along and do that side of things but also of course I've, I've always got opportunities to attend some events and, and stuff and get stuck in wherever I wherever I fancy it really is I am lucky that things interest me and I want to get involved in there's lots of opportunities for me to, for me to do that that sounds really really nice that you've got that flexibility within your job so in the UK where do the fish that we eat as the nation where do those fish come from yeah so we talk about um we talk about the big five and these are sort of the five main species that we really do eat the most of in the UK and that is salmon, prawns, tuna, cod and haddock. The thing about um, about seafood is you know a lot of people a lot of people only like to make the same thing and it's, it is a bit daunting you know they see you see these unusual looking fish and shellfish and you don't know how to cook them you don't know how to prepare them there's so many different kinds so people tend to stick to what they know so yeah, they're the main, they're the main ones really, and obviously there's other things available as well. You know, you have crab and lobsters and different kinds of fin fish, but those are the by far the main the main five things that we consume. And you've touched on it briefly about the difference between maybe some of these wild fisheries and kind of the farms. But what are the different types of seafood production? What kind of methods happen in the UK? Yeah, well, I think that's the thing, you know, those ones I listed before, they're not, you know, they're not things that are produced in the UK, so we consume in the UK. And what we produce in the UK is often quite different from what we consume. So we actually import and export an awful lot of seafood. So a lot of what we eat, you know, is things that we've imported. So a lot of prawns from Asia and we get, you know, tuna from, from the different oceans and things. So that's stuff that we import and we export things like a lot of salmon, a lot of our crab gets exported. And um, in the UK itself, yeah, there's a whole range of different of different fisheries that go on so there's things like you know we do pot fishing for crab and lobster and whelks and we also have trawlers that are you know go around the UK and out into the North Sea we we trawl for things like cod and haddock and flatfish and we also use gill nets it's just type of net we use to catch fish and things called long lines which is a big you know a big long piece of fishing line with different hooks along it so we have all different size and scale we do all, all sorts around the UK I suppose as an island as an island nation we have that opportunity to do a lot of fishing. 
Yeah, that makes sense. But in terms of fisheries, because I don't have a lot of knowledge on like the really what a fishery does and how it works, but I've heard this term, an onshore fishery and an offshore fishery. Would you be able to just explain the differences for me? Yeah, so I think as opposed to, so the onshore offshore thing, onshore and offshore are more applicable to aquaculture. So what aquaculture is, it's basically the farming of seafood. So we think of it in terms of fisheries is more like hunting and gathering, whereas aquaculture is farming and onshore and offshore for aquaculture. Offshore would be things like, you know, you would have a salmon farm in pens that are out in the sea and onshore might be they have different kinds of um, recirculating and land-based systems. In terms of wild-caught fisheries, I think it's more in, it's more inshore and offshore we would talk about. So inshore is sort of the smaller boats and that's things that would only go out for a day fishing and come in the smaller harbours. Offshore is these great big boats where you know, fishers might go away for days at a time and they bring back these massive big boatloads full of fish. So I think you picked up beautifully there of kind of the difference, the differences between also the way people operate and the different kinds of places that these fish and food come from. If it's someone's choice to eat seafood, why is choosing sustainable seafood so important? Yeah, choosing sustainable seafood is super important. I think I I mentioned before it's like the, the vast majority it's over 90 probably 95 or 97 percent of uk households actually eat fish or seafood and sustainable seafood is also you know it's a you know seafood provides a really important kind of low carbon source of protein available so it's really important you know that we focus on how to make the seafood more sustainable so sustainability in terms of a fish sense in terms of wild caught fish it means that the, the fish has come from a stock that's well managed and isn't depleted so that there's good numbers of fish available of that kind it also means fishing from a stock and that fishing impact is having less of an impact on the environment. So things like, you know, it's not destroying the, the sea floor and it's not catching lots of other species. Um, similarly, in a farmed context, sustainable seafood means seafood that's having less impact on the environment. So the things that are, you know, maybe releasing less chemicals and aren't having as big an impact on other species. And by choosing sustainable seafood, it means, you know, if you go to a supermarket or a fishmonger or a restaurant, if you're asking for these sustainable options, that's showing them that that's what you want. You want your seafood to be having less of an impact on the environment. Um, you know, we've seen that, you know, what I work on, the Good Fish Guide that provides a sustainable seafood advice, it's businesses that use the Good, the good Fish Guide, they sell over 20% of the seafood that's consumed in the UK. And that's businesses that have actively, you know, choose to sell sustainable seafood. So by using the Good Fish Guide and by asking for sustainable seafood, that's encouraging businesses to make that choice. And that's encouraging businesses to help improve the seafood that we are catching and farming. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's one of those things that can be pushed forward by consumer choice. Because I think we've all seen recently, especially in the past few years, that we just don't want everything wrapped in plastic. So I think the supermarkets are getting very good or at least slowly improving with the plastic. But it's interesting to see that this is another space in which we as individuals can turn around and make our voices heard and ask for something different or something that's already in place that should be an easy option and an easy swap for like a sustainable option when it comes to seafood. Can you talk me through the different scales of fisheries that we have in the UK and does this actually impact the sustainability of fisheries? Because in my mind, the larger the fishery, surely the larger impact they have and then would they be sustainable or would they have more money to be sustainable? Yeah, and it, this is a really good question because it's quite a common misconception, I think, around the public. You know, they think that, um, you know, these small boats, that, you know, that aren't catching as much, that actually that's the most sustainable choice. And a lot of people, when they think about sustainable seafood, they make the association of small scale equals sustainable. And although, you know, it would be great if that was the case, unfortunately, it's just not quite that straightforward. Actually, um, a lot of it depends on the stock and the fishing pressure we're putting on that specific stock. So it really it doesn't come down to the scale of the fishery, whether it's most sustainable or not. There's a whole host of factors we need to look at and we need to look at, you know, how the stock is doing and also how it's managed as well as the impact it's having on the environment. And the scale of things ranges throughout the UK. We have some really, you know, we have some smaller scale fisheries. We have things like, um, you know, small areas where they might do potting for crab and lobster whelks. And then, you know, like I mentioned before, the big trawler boats in the North Sea that can go away for a week at a time before coming back, um, full of seafood but that doesn't necessarily mean have a difference in sustainability it all just comes down to that specific area what method they're using and what the stock's doing and yeah that's why the good fish guides are really to make it easy for you to check that out and and make that choice 
I'm just going to pick up on something you said there as well, because we've mentioned the word a few times about potting. Could you just kind of define for us what a pot actually is? Yeah, of course. So a pot is sometimes called a it's sometimes called a creel. So that is it's like almost like it's made of like mesh, and I don't really know how to describe this, but it's basically like a big pot that is put in the sea, and it's usually on a string. So there might be a string of say like thirty pots or something that a fisherman would put out, and they would have a buoy at the end so they know where it is. And it's used to catch things like yeah, like crab or lobster or whelk. Sometimes also used for things like scampi and different species. And it's just a method of it's a method of catching of catching seafood and it's quite it's it's a good method to use because it has less impact on the environment you know you're not dragging a trawl or something across the seabed but obviously that's not the only factor so even though it might be having less impact on the environment if it's catching something where there's not huge numbers of it it wouldn't always make it a sustainable a sustainable method mm. and that's so important to remember is that these are really complex factors that come into measuring these levels of sustainability and looking at these different fisheries which I know is lots of different things that you take into account when you're doing your job in terms of the actual stock numbers that you've mentioned where do those numbers come from so we use a few different sources and the main one we use is by the international council for exploration for the sea we call it ICES is the the kind of shortcut version of that the acronym and they provide for a lot of species they do these annual annual assessments or biannual assessments depending on the species or sometimes it's every two years and they give us that they do go out with their boats and do surveys and see what's out there and they produce this information for us there's also some fisheries it's not available for so for like in England and Wales for crab and lobster these are done by CFAS CFAS is a government body that does these scientific stock assessments so they come from all over really and um they're not also not available for every species so some species unfortunately it's not available and we have to make a judgment on how the fishery is doing based on things like landings data and we actually have a different different methods we undertake whenever a stock is data limited we have to be cautious when it's data limited because we don't know exactly what's going on no i think you make a very good point there in the sense that we can't help a species if we don't know what it is and where it is and where what our numbers are at so i think that ongoing monitoring is really important but i did want to ask what species do we tend to keep an eye on or at least what species do you tend to keep an eye on and so we actually, as part of the Good Fish Care, we we keep an eye on on all on all species, you know, sort of all fish that are available on the UK marketplace. So the Good Fish Guide, I think we have something crazy like over six hundred ratings, and that covers over hundred and forty different species. Um, and it's for things that are available in the UK marketplace. So like for me, for me personally, it, we, it's a team effort. You know, there's a few of us, the team that do these ratings. We all have different things that we're focusing on at different times. So, you know, recently I've been looking at crab and lobsters. I've also been looking at sharks and I've been looking at some farm seafood. I've been looking at pangazis from Vietnam. And it's really at different times and researching and researching different things. But it's a total, it's a total team effort. We all work together to cover cover all the seafood and yeah our main thing is just taking this complex information i understand it's quite hard to get your head around this different size of these fisheries and the different stock information but that's our job is to to take away that pressure and to make it easy for people to to make the right choice without fully needing having the need to fully understand how these stocks are monitored yeah i never realized that it was that amount of species that was monitored by just your organization which sounds like yeah a big job and a big team needed do in terms of like data, seeing as we're on the topic, do you have any data on the eating habits of the UK population? So I know generally fish and chips on a Friday is a big thing, but in terms of any data that you have that you could share with us? Yeah, it's not not data specifically, but I think what I touched on before about these about these big five. So in terms of salmon, you know, a lot of people eat salmon and buy salmon just from their supermarket. And a lot of that is is farmed so a lot of it's farmed you know in scotland or in norway or in the faroe islands so salmon's really popular and um, also prawns again a huge variety of prawns available a lot of them come from asia as well but there's all different, all different kinds of prawns you can get and um, things you get you know in your fish and chips on a friday from the takeaway cod and haddock again all different sustainability options tuna you know a lot of tin tuna people eat a lot of tin tuna they're, so they're, they really are the main things that we eat and it is a real it is a bit of a problem that we have here in the UK that we eat the same things and I'd love for people to be more diverse in their seafood choices and try different things that are being caught caught closer to home because we really you know we really need to start eating a more diverse range of, of seafood. So just talking about these different things obviously that people like and the different fish that we tend to see and also making these sustainable choices 
for the conservation of these fish stocks what is kind of the best species that we should be looking to choose to eat because they're the more more sustainable so I think, yeah, again, this question's really, it's really difficult to answer because it's not so straightforward. Like our job would be much easier if we could turn around and say, you should be eating X, Y, and Z species. But unfortunately, there's a lot more that comes to it than that. It is about, you know, where it's where it's caught or farmed, the management of that and the impact it's coming and having on the environment. So some species we rate, say, for example, something like Atlantic cod, we have ratings that range from, yes, fish would recommend eating to no fish should avoid and definitely not eat. And that all comes down to, where it's caught and how that stock's managed and how it's caught. So I definitely think, you know, before you before you purchase a seafood species, you really need to check the label and look at where it's been caught or farmed and how it's been caught and farmed and any equal labels that may be available. And then use a good fish guide to really make sure you're making the best choice. And I think, you know, don't be afraid to, if you're in the fishmonger, to ask them for more questions about where it's caught and to really, you know, ask those questions because that's that ultimately is what puts pressure on on the restaurants and the supermarkets and the fishmonger, if they know that we're wanting that sustainability information and we want to know where our fish was caught, then, you know, that's a really good thing if we're putting that pressure on. I think that's so important. I think you're painting a very clear picture of how complicated it is, especially dealing with this stock data that's coming in annually and these constant changing situations. Because like you said, there's a number of fishing methods and aquaculture methods and that's constantly changing along with the stocks as well as the numbers I think it would be nice to say that this is this is the super fish that we should all be eating but I completely now understand why that that's not an answerable question in terms of another unanswerable question is there any seafood species we should absolutely avoid eating or at least for the moment should we say yeah I fully appreciate how difficult this is like I think you know, we're well aware ourselves and it's not an easy thing to do. You know, it's not an easy thing we're asking people to do. There is no easy option. But in terms of things we should avoid, there's definitely there's definitely a couple I can list, you know, that, that we should avoid no matter where no matter where they come from. So wild Atlantic salmon is one of those. So wild Atlantic salmon is really, really depleted across its entire range and we really need to give it a chance to, to recover. But, you know, the good thing with that is there is more sustainable options. There's some more sustainable farmed options and also wild caught Alaskan salmon. Um, so there are alternatives. Um, another one we should always avoid is European eel. I think in the UK, you know, we have some problems with things that were tr- traditional. We want to keep up that tradition. So things like in London, you know, they would have a lot of jelly eel. But European eel is actually critically endangered and we should never, never eat it, no matter what claims they make about where it, where it comes from. We should never be eating, um, eating European eel. Similarly, wild Atlantic halibut is doing really badly and we know very little information about it. Um, but yeah, there is, you know, again, like salmon with Atlantic halibut, there is a farmed option that's more sustainable. So the species altogether aren't totally off limits, but there are some that in the wild we should definitely avoid. And with a lot of different species, there is, like I mentioned before, there is unsustainable options that we should avoid, but it is just about checking where they're coming from. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And if we were to, as an example, as a nation, choose to not buy wild caught Atlantic salmon how long if you have this data or any sort of information how long would it take those stocks to improve should we say we yeah that's something we can't say so we don't know there's a whole host of things you know each different different species has different times they take to recover the population and it's not just down to fishing pressure you know there's external things that put pressure on that things like um Things like salmon and eel that rely on rivers. You've got to think about things that are happening in rivers that might be hindering the recovery of their population. And basically, something like Atlantic salmon. I think there's, you know, there's nine different reasons or something that have been listed for why the why the population is recovering, and we can't put it down to any one thing. So we know that we should avoid eating it because that's putting pressure on it. But it's not necessarily the only pressure. Mm-hmm. Things like climate change can also impact species. So we can't specifically say, and I wouldn't want to say, okay, don't eat this for ten years, and then you'll be able to eat it again. Because that's sort of where the problems arise. People think it's either okay or it's not. And it's not that clear cut. And I think we need to just trust the scientific experts and wait for the advice to come out to say that it is doing well again. And then when that happens, it's also thinking about, well, we've seen what happened before. Should we really be eating it in the same volumes that we did previously? So there's a lot to think about. Just some of the stuff you've picked out there, I feel like it's so important to pick up on and really acknowledge of 
not being afraid to ask questions to seek out just educating yourself with these topics because people will always be willing to chat to you and if they don't know send you somewhere or to someone that might know a little bit more and also just the importance of data for any of these things is that we need to make informed decisions using the data that we have and then acting on that data um but also on the note you mentioned climate change and that is something that is at the forefront of everyone's minds is how our planet is changing how is that actually impacting and affecting our seafood climate change yeah climate change is something that really people are people do care about at the minute people are wanting to see more work done on and it does have links to seafood so a few a few different things i'll give a couple of examples actually um so things like a rise in sea temperatures that's leading to algal blooms it's also affecting fish farms so seas becoming warmer leads to an increase in sea lice and sea lice are a parasite that you know it's widely known that they affect that they affect salmon and that's you know the the warmer our seas are getting the more likely sea lice numbers are to increase and things like diseases as well like they can change with the different shift in the temperature of the water so that definitely has an impact obviously more diseases and parasites can lead to more chemicals being used and that can have a negative impact in the environment um we're also seeing like a bit of a shift in actually what species are present in uk waters so things like anchovy and sea bass that historically weren't seen very much around here the numbers are increasing because they're moving further north as the water is getting warmer and things like cod and haddock as well that we would have seen a lot of here are actually moving further further north because they want these cool or they're moving to like these cooler and deeper waters because you know our seas are getting warmer um another thing that can happen i'm going to geek out a bit here but as an example but um climate change is causing these abnormally warm water areas and these areas these patches with this warm water is leading to a decrease in oxygen so a good example of this actually was in the gulf of alaska now there was an event a few years ago and it was called the blob what happened in the blob was this patch you have this water that got really warm and the oxygen was depleted and their cod stocks um, actually in that time i think it was 2014 to around 2017 the cod population in that area declined by more than half and that wasn't because of overfishing, it wasn't because of any other factors, it was because this water was oxygen depleted, it was killing off all their cod. And that's had like a knock-on effect. So it's not just killed the fish during that time, that means that the fish that you know that would have been there haven't been able to reproduce. And we still have really low cod numbers now. And that's actually meant meant that like the authorities there, they've had to they've had to close off the cod fishery to allow that to recover. And then there's other things, you know, like ocean acidification sea level rise more frequent storm events and they can damage things like infrastructure they can damage fish farms and they can put it you know they can have impacts on fishing operations so yeah there's lots of different links between climate and and seafood and actually you know some of them we don't even understand yet we're only beginning to understand so again that's part of the you know like we've talked about before there's so many there's so many things and i don't i don't want to overwhelm people by thinking about oh my goodness i have to be thinking about all these things back to seafood because that is you know that's our job that's you know, running the good fish guide, that's what we do. We're kind of, and we are taking, you know, these factors into account and yeah, we're providing, hopefully making things a bit clearer. So I don't want you to, to panic about thinking about these things as well. I think that's what's great though, is by having something like the good fish guide is that there is a place that you can go to and think about these type of things when someone has also started already thinking about all of the effects of climate and changes in other factors for you. Just off the back of that question, if you're able to answer this, We've got animals moving north because seas are warming and other animals moving further north because the seas are warming. So they're looking for colder water. The ones with the colder water heading north are look there is more impacts acting on them and more pressure acting on them because their area they can live in is getting smaller. But these animals that are moving from, say, what we would expect to see if we went on a trip to Greece on the menu, like squid. Or I think you also mentioned sea bass. Do you think in the future that maybe these kind of choices might be what we look towards more because they're going to become more common in our waters? I think that's really hard to say at the minute. Um, to be honest, and it's not something that I really know enough about, and I don't think we'll be able to make those kind of decisions until until that's happening. So yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I don't really know. It's yeah something worth keeping an eye on. I think that's a great answer, though. Is we should keep an eye on it and see where the data goes because that will inform us of how these changes are happening in our seas and maybe the different food choices and menus we might see in the future. 
Yeah, I think that's something as well. Like seafood as a whole, there's so much that is unknown, you know? And it's like, we don't actually, we can't see. It's different to, we can look out and we can count the amount of animals there are on land. So we know how many of X, Y, and Z animal are left when we see on land. But with fish, because it happens over time, we, you can't actually see that movement. So you're judging on what fishermen are catching. And you're relying on this data coming in and it does take time for that data to build up and you want to see years worth of data to know if it's just an anomaly and you know you guys have worked in science you know what it's like you see so many kind of false positives and this sort of thing so it does take years to actually see these impacts happening Mm. absolutely it's a very complicated science on top of a bit more complicated policy and then add in some sustainable livelihoods and we've just got what you do, which just sounds like a minefield, but also very interesting. So there's that. Um, I did have a question. So we've been talking about the stocks that you monitor and what you do, but fundamentally, could you tell us what is a seafood sustainability rating? Yeah, so this is probably going to clear some stuff up by going into a bit more bit more detail of what it is I do so the good fish guide it, it, it uses the best and most up-to-date scientific advice available on how sustainable seafood is and it looks at the complex problems surrounding seafood and summarizes this into a traffic light system so this will be there might be a rating for like I said before we have over 600 over 600 ratings and a rating might be for a particular kind of particular area so say for example brown crab caught in Shetland using pots so it's the species, it's where it's caught, it might involve the management that's caught and how it's caught. And we would look at that specifically and we would give that a rating on this traffic light system. So green means that's what we would call the best choice. They're the fish you should, you should eat. Amber means that it's okay and it requires improvement. And red are fish to avoid. So it's fish you definitely shouldn't eat. Okay, now I absolutely know what you mean when you're saying that you're taking all of this complicated information and turning it into an easily digestible situation for us as the general public to understand excuse the pun um (laughs) so i have a question you've mentioned the good fish guide a couple of times and i've only seen it in pamphlet form everywhere i've seen it in loads of places but especially with this day and age where we take paper a lot less when we're thinking about other ways to be sustainable is there a a version of the good fish guide online yes definitely so we have we have a website and we also have an app that's really handy there's an app you can download to your phone and that means you have all the most up-to-date information available right there and we we provide some updates to this twice a year so it means everything's up to date and anytime there is you know there might be a change in management or there's new scientific advice available about the stock or about the farming method we'll update those ratings so you can be sure that everything is up to date Excellent. This is something I didn't know about. (laughs) So in terms of obviously that's one thing and especially going to the Good Fish Guide and this kind of 600 species is a lot of ratings, which is excellent to be thinking about. Say we go to the shop and we've got Good Fish Guide in our back pocket. Is there anything else we should be looking out for? I've heard about the MSC and the ASC eco labels and you did mention eco labels earlier. So what is an eco label? And I mean, what do they mean? Yeah, so eco-labels, they're, they're really important. Um, you might have actually seen them in other kinds of food. So things like the organic label you see across different kinds of food. You know, there's things like the RS, RSPCA might have a label or there's like Red Tractor certified, I think, for some food types. So it's similar to that. So what the MS, MSC is, they're also known as the Marine Stewardship Council. So they are they are a certifier. So what they do is they will certify fisheries they actually charge they charge fisheries to be certified but that'll be conducted through a third party and they will certify a specific fishery and once a fishery is certified the certified and sustainable so once it's certified and sustainable they can have the blue tick which they can put on packaging similarly for farmed products there's a few different certifiers there's a few different certifiers that work in that area and the main ones you will see is the asc or the agriculture stewardship council or organic and they'll they're on pack. There's a few others such as Global Gap and GAA. They they won't appear on pack, but they are there and supermarkets use them. And what this means is you seeing this logo on pack, you know that that's, that that's a good choice. It's not the only thing to take into consideration. Just because something doesn't one of these one of these ticks on it doesn't mean that it's not a good choice as you have you know, you have you have to pay for these certifications to be done. And some small scale, some small scale fisheries or some smaller farms might not, you know, might not be able to afford for it or they might not have had the chance to go for it yet. So that doesn't necessarily mean you should avoid eating it. But, you know, as it, if you're getting overwhelmed and you just want to make sure you make a good choice and definitely these, 
these equal labels are a good thing to look for and the thing that good fish guide does it's a bit differently is you won't you won't find a good fish guide label on a packaging but any fish that you see in a supermarket or in a fishmonger's or in a restaurant or at least the vast majority of them you should be able to find out that information through our app or through our our pocket version or on our website mm. that made perfect sense and i think that's the other thing as well having it on the app obviously you can stop for a second and I know for me with fruit I do this I always check where the fruits come from because you said this earlier about thinking about local as kind of all three of us are similar ages I remember the fisherman making his rounds in his van and he would pull up on your street and then you would go and you would get whatever fish you were thinking about and it's just taking that second to think about either buying as local as possible reducing carbon in that way or using your phone to look at okay what is the rating on this or reading the label of looking for I mean dolphin friendly and all of these kind of things they're all different types of labels you've just mentioned that mean slightly different things and it's just having a look for that tiny second longer so you can make a bit more informed choice about the food that you're eating yeah and we know that like whenever you go to a supermarket there are so many things to think about you know like today in today's age we're thinking about the plastics that are in it you know you're getting to then you're getting to your washing powder and you're looking for things like phosphorus and like you said yeah with your fruit and veg you're looking for organic and your meat you want to be certified and your eggs are free range and there is so many things to look at to look for and that's what the good fish guide tries to cut through to make it that bit easier to to know what you should be looking for in terms of seafood but we know it's no we know it's no easy job we know that like people you know put a lot of pressure on themselves to make the right choices and it is just something that um, hopefully by making the right choices, we're putting the pressure on supermarkets and on retailers and things to actually realise that customers care about this. So by taking that extra time, you're letting them know that that's something they care about and that that's something they need to invest in and make sure that they prioritise. Yeah. And with the shop as well today, I mean, my, my first thought was, and also telling people to not walk any closer to me than two metres. <laughs> yeah, anyway. there's definitely definitely out of pressure at the minute, that's for sure. You're absolutely right. I think there's just so much going on for every individual that any small change that we can make, if it is positive, then go for it. And if you are a lover of seafood, taking that extra second to download an app and having a quick look through it means that you are educated in to the to another level and you might be able to make smarter food choices as you're going around or just get adventurous and try a different type of seafood that you've not tried before, which I do understand is absolutely terrifying. Do you have any specific species that you focus on, just you, on your work? Like, are there any specific crustaceans or fish that you're looking into, not just your team? I think definitely, you know, it's all it's all a team effort. So we all we all pitch in and everything. And that's a great thing about working as part of a team. We Everyone has different expertise, different experience. And there might be, you know, some weeks I'm researching a particular thing. So I might have done research on crab and lobsters but for my rating to include all evidence one of my colleagues has worked on whelks which is a similar which is a similar capture method so we Mm -hmm. would definitely work together to make sure we have that knowledge that goes across it we also make sure you know all our research we do and our ratings we put out they go through an intense internal review process and we also go out to external consultation to get the views of all different stakeholders any data we may have missed but yeah for me personally it changes all the time so I work on for our different ratings updates I work on different species like I said recently, particularly crab and lobster. I've done some kind of shark and ray ratings recently. I've done some different different farmed ratings. So yeah, it just it just really depends and it, it changes all the time. And that's the best bit about it is that I'm always working on on different things. I don't have such a niche specific area. I can work across across different species and, and help colleagues out with what they're working on and vice versa. No, that sounds really interesting. And there's nothing better than a job where you can stretch your wings a little bit and get get some new skills so even looking at some different species and learning from the colleagues that you're talking about I think is really exciting so I think you've kind of already answered this question but just just to double check so the good um, fish guide it focuses on global species of fish so not just that food that's consumed in the UK or just caught in UK waters it is global so yeah it's quite a there's a bit of a distinction here. So we focus on food that's available in the UK. So things that consumers are, things that you eat in the UK is what we focus on. But that means that food comes from everywhere. So not everything I've touched on before, but not things that we eat in the UK are necessarily caught or farmed in the UK. So a lot of what we eat would be things like tuna and prawns. And, you know, those things aren't all farms. Most, most prawns aren't farmed in the UK. They're farmed over in Asia. So we're looking at, we're looking at, um, 
we're reading those from Asia or like I've worked on things like Cod and Pollock that's caught in Russia because it's available in the UK marketplace. So although a lot of the things that we work on, we try to cover we try to cover most species that are caught and farmed in the UK as well, but it's also things globally that are available to eat in the UK to help out UK consumers. Just on that note, um, something that just kind of occurred to me and I think is kind of fascinating. If, say, because obviously you're working on this global scale and in Russia and so it may be something that's being farmed or caught in Spain, are you having to also look at kind of, you've spoken about all these different bodies that you work with, look at, say, fishing reports in Russian? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, that is that is part of it. Um, thankfully, you know, we have there's lots of there's lots of different organisations that work on seafood and things, and quite often, you know, we've got we've got a network of different contacts we can use, if need be, to help us translate these documents. But definitely, there are some hurdles if we're having to look at documents in different language, and it's really important that we interpret them correctly. So, quite a lot of the time, we are having to rely on on other on other contacts we have globally to help us digest that because my my language skills aren't great. You know, I don't. I don't claim to be able to understand everything, especially in different language. I mean, this technical stuff is hard enough to understand in English sometimes. So, yeah, it is it is one of the challenging parts of our job. And definitely sometimes if you're looking to rate, you know, maybe like anchovies from Peru or something like that, it might take a bit longer just to make sure you're interpreting that information correctly and also getting access to it. You know, it's easy enough to search for something that's being, for management measures that are being put out by the UK government. But not all countries have you know, have their, everything on their website or have it all up to date. So we might rely on contacts from those companies to point us to the right place to make sure we're getting the, the right scores. It sounds really nice that you're kind of, that is, like Lexi said, spreading your wings a little bit. Lots of different focus, but also lots of different interactions. So I can imagine all kinds of things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis, no two days are the same. Um, so we're looking at Good Fish Guide, looking for our eco labels, really thinking about where the food we consume is coming from. Is there anything else that we can do that is like that other extra step to lower our footprint as human beings? Well, I think, you know, as, as human beings, obviously there's a lot more things that are coming into into play than, than just seafood. But I think in terms of seafood, yeah, you've got it bang on. I think the Good Fish Guide is a resource. It's there. It's free to use. A lot of businesses use it as well. So a lot of businesses are using it to make sure that they're supplying the right thing in store, in the restaurant. Definitely have a look at that. Keep an eye out for eco labels. But it's really looking at that label on a packet, you know, looking at, okay, there's a seafood species. This is what it's called. And, they, you know, they are required to put where it's come from on the pack. So you should be able to see. And also don't be afraid to ask the questions. You know, if you're a fishmonger or if you're in a restaurant, don't don't be afraid to ask them where it was from or information about how it was caught or anything because they should know, they should know that. And if you know, if you're at your fishmonger and they don't know information about that, then really maybe it's okay to step away. You know, if you're not happy that you know all the information, I think as a, in general, as a population, we're some, we're starting to want to know more about where our food's coming from and where the things that we buy are coming from. So it's important. It's important to ask those questions and don't be afraid to do that. And in most cases, the people are, they're, they're more than happy to talk you through it. You know, fishmongers, in a lot of cases, they, they like being asked and they're, you know, they're happy to talk you through it. So definitely don't be afraid to do that. And also don't, yeah, don't assume that something because it's local is the best choice, but also don't assume that something, you know, coming, don't, don't make any assumptions about your seafood, basically. Just have a look at the, have a support local where you can, but have a look at the label to make sure that local option really is sustainable. Yeah, I think that's a very nice way to wrap it up. And just one final question. So obviously the Good Fish Guide is part of the Marine Conservation Society, um so if any of our listeners want to give any extra sort of support or get involved a little bit more what would the best way to do that be um, is that with the marine conservation society as a whole yeah yes yeah, so we do we do lots of different things the marine conservation society we work across sustainable seafood but also ocean recovery so that's things like marine protected areas we also work on clean seas, so that's different pollution, and we have lots of ways the public can get involved. So we have lots of amazing volunteers that work with us. We couldn't we couldn't do what we do without volunteers, and they do things like you know they do litter picks, and we collect all the data that's collected from litter on beaches. So it's definitely something that anyone can get involved with. There's plenty of information about that on our website, but we also have these volunteers called Sea Champions, and they go into schools and they do education and they lead different community events. They might host a stall for us and do different events in that way. 
And there's always some citizen science projects you can get involved in. We have things like the big seaweed search where people record the different kinds of seaweed they spot. And there's always stuff going on. So if you go to our website, there's a link of how you can get involved. And yeah, there's lots of lots of ways there. We love everyone to get involved. You know, anyone that anyone that wants to has an interest, there's always something that everyone can do. Thank you so much for that. So we are wrapping up now. Um, is there anything else you would like to mention that we haven't covered? No, I think we've covered everything. Just, yeah, as I keep saying, just check check the Good Fish Guide and don't be afraid to get in touch with anything you don't understand. Um, we recognise that this stuff's really complicated and it's not what people are used to talking about and not used to hearing about. And there's lots of there's lots of words and there's lots of terminology and sometimes we, you know, we forget that not everyone just hearing this stuff every day so don't be afraid to ask people for more information don't be afraid to ask for the silly questions and yeah there's always the the internet's full of all this information so definitely just don't be afraid to have a bit of a look and yeah ask people for for stuff that you don't know i think that's a fabulous message to be ending on of there is no such thing as a stupid question and if you don't know ask someone because they will be more than happy to share their passion with you and also stepping outside supporting these wildlife charities you can't go wrong right i think that's everything so thank you alice for chatting with us today and thank you listeners for listening um i hope you'll have a wild day bye thank you bye thank you for listening today as always we have been wild about conservation and you have been awesome please do leave us a review we would really appreciate it and we do read them all To keep exploring with us, drop us an email or find us on our socials. All the links are in our description and the show notes. If you enjoy our show and want to support us, we are also on Patreon. Just £1 a month, 25p an episode, will cover our creation costs. And anything above that, we donate to charity. Thank you to those of you that are already helping us to keep creating. Our chosen charity for this season are the British Divers Marine Life Rescue, who are an organisation dedicated to the rescue and well-being of all marine animals in distress around the UK. Donations will go to training teams of volunteers and maintaining specialised equipment that is vital for their work. Don't forget to look out for our next episode next Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If we aren't there, do let us know. And remember, step outside and get wild about conservation. Bye! Bye. How do you get wild? Watching wildlife documentaries. Wildflower painting. Diving. Wild swimming. Ocean watching. Rock climbing. Bird watching. Listening to podcasts. Hill walks. Visiting a wildlife charity.